I guess for grown-ups now, your favorite podcast about being an adult. I am Carrie. And I'm Brooke. Hi, Brooke. Hey. How are you this week? Doing pretty well. It's a good week. It is a good week. Uh, you can find this episode on goodstuff.fm slash grownups slash 24. There will be links and things posted there uh, that you will find interesting, I guarantee. Uh, we are also on Twitter at grownups underscore FM, and you can subscribe or listen or whatever you do uh, at iTunes. You can search for, I guess, we're grownups now there. Um, we are sponsored by FeedPress. FeedPress is analytics and podcast hosting made for bloggers and podcasters. FeedPress is a simple, intuitive, and powerful RSS analytics and podcast hosting platform featuring powerful subscriber and podcast download tracking, integrated newsletters, automated publishing to popular social networks such as Twitter and Facebook, a slick drag and drop podcast hosting interface, and everything you need in order to submit an optimized feed to iTunes, just like what I do. With 250 meg of flexible file storage that rolls over monthly, you can easily upload four apps a month. Upgrading storage is easy and affordable, starting at a flat rate of just $20 per gig. Go to feed.press slash grownups today and sign up to try FeedPress for 14 days with no contracts or commitments. Use promo code grownups during checkout to get 10% off your first year. Thank you to FeedPress and good stuff for hosting I guess we're grown-ups now. All right. Uh, today we are talking about the very grown-up topic of volunteering for things. <laughs> Being a volunteer. Um, how should we approach this? Um, do you want to talk about when what's, When did you first yeah. start volunteering? Um, you know, I think probably when I was younger, uh, part of growing up in the Christian church, as I'm sure you will attest to, is being encouraged all the time to volunteer for things that may not actually help anyone. (laughs) There's a lot of things where it's like, we're just going to do this. We're going to build this church for these people, or we're going to like go to this kitchen and poorly serve this meal um, that I think are more like penance or trying to teach you something than they are actually trying to help people who are impoverished. That's an interesting Uh, perspective of that. Because I... Like later on when I grew up and I like would talk to people who are houseless or talk to people who need help, they'd be like, yeah, these like bratty kids get brought in here sometimes and they're terrible at doing this and they're not helpful. And like, um, I don't know, it's a tough, it's a tough deal. Cause I think like, I don't, I'm not a parent. So I bet you've learned a lot, a thing or two about teaching your kids about, um, civic responsibility. But I think that's when I first started doing it was when I thought I was really making a difference and, and in retrospect, maybe I was making it worse. So, yeah, well, and I'm not entirely sure that's, um, completely the churches. Like, I don't, I'm not sure that that's inherent to religion or whether it's inherent to children. Oh yeah, totally. I think it's children. I'm just, the reason I went to it is because of the church. Totally. Like my friends who grew up in like more, um, a religious households didn't have those encouragements or opportunities, I guess, because there wasn't like a group. Yeah, I would say that um, the church is huge on like doing work that isn't primarily or at least on the surface about you, the individual, although a lot of people do it for themselves, the individual. But and then also like girl guides, 
um, scouts organizations, things like that, I think are, I mean, right. And it's complicated. They're not just a purely good organization, but at least, uh, it gets you thinking about more than just yourself. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's a really important like mindset. So I guess my like first step. Exactly. Like my, my, my volunteering mindset, my volunteering, like, um, philosophy has shifted over the years. And, um, for a long time, I thought I had to do, um, I, I thought I'd do a lot of, a lot of things to help people out. And then I realized that like, I have a special set of skills, interests, and passions, and I can use those to help people out. Um, and maybe I'm not great at like, like I said, building a house. I'm really terrible at it. You do not want me to build your house. (laughs) But I'm really, really great at doing like activism and organizing. I'm really great at facilitating like conversations. I'm really great at a bunch of other factors in that. And so that's played into how I volunteer now and also the things and the organizations I'm involved in. So what are um, some examples of things you've done in, you know, since you would consider yourself an adult in, you know, the last five or 10 years, what are the kind of volunteering things you've done? So, uh, I volunteer kind of unofficially to mentor people like relatively often, um, especially inside of queer world. Uh, a lot of people who either are like coming out or trying to like figure out how to access hormones or how to talk through therapists, like all these conversations with them that aren't by any means officially mentoring. And I'm not like their mentor, but it, it is a volunteer of my time to like say, I figured this out. I know how to do this. And I would love to help you figure out how to do it yourself. Um, that's kind of like the really low level stuff that I do pretty constantly. Um, I volunteer to help people like make some of their organizational policies or ideas a lot more friendly to trans people, a lot more friendly to queer women. Um, and, and like bigger, more like, uh, meta, like I've done some actual, like, go to a place and protest activism, which I feel like is also a kind of volunteering. Totally. Especially in Texas when we had a bunch of the reproductive health um, crap that they were pulling on us and trying to do whatever they could to shut down abortion rights in Texas. Um, I would go to the Capitol. I would protest. We yelled and screamed when Winnie Davis was there. Um, We shut down a vote and we lost. And like, that's you another were there kind of, for that. Oh my God. I was there for that. Yeah. It was really bizarre. And I watched, um, a bunch of older women get arrested. Like they were telling us we were all going to get arrested. Like it was so scary. Cool. But, it was yeah, cool, scary. but it's also scary. And, and also really disheartening because the very next day they did like a quick session and just passed it anyway, Yeah, which they weren't supposed to be able to do. Um, and it really, uh, crushed my already pretty low opinion of the democratic process in Texas. Um, so part of the reason why I moved to Portland is because I like being involved and I didn't feel like I could do a lot there. Plus it was literally maybe going to be illegal for me to use the bathroom. Uh, <laughs> as a trans woman, they were like trying to pass legislation and, and this is affecting my friends in Texas, yeah. um, in Houston. And I thought maybe that would happen other places that would make it illegal and a, um, arrestable offense for me to pee in the bathroom that matches my gender um, which is uh, ludicrous. Is. So, and those are things that I was just like, all right, even with my like sense of civic duty, I need safety. Oh my gosh. You just made the world's greatest pun. Oh, it was <laughs> oh, civic ludicrous. Duty. No, no, yeah, civic oh, duty as well. I'm sorry. <laughs> but going, 
going to the bathroom uh-huh. and it was ludicrous as in going to the loo do people say uh, that in the u.s they, oh my they gosh don't. but also lewd like l-e-w-d <laughs> so it's ludicrous um i mean i was always saying like for that for the activism and a bunch of other people have said this before me but like uh, if you're protesting not being able to use the bathroom, just piss in the hallway. <laughs> just just hike up your skirt and piss in the hallway because it's like, dude, I got to go to the bathroom. I'm right. going to go there. Yeah. And I have a lot of trans guy friends who take pictures of themselves and they're like, do you want me in the women's bathroom? Because, you know, these are like big husky dudes with beards. And I'm right. like, no one does. No one wants any of this except for ridiculous politicians. Um, yeah. And then like, I guess now while I'm in... Portland while I'm in Oregon, I've had the really awesome opportunity to be involved in like, um, the board of directors for basic rights, Oregon, which is a queer rights organization that primarily focuses on trans and racial justice. Um, and that's, you know, a couple hours every month or so. Um, plus other things they'll ask me to do interviews or talk to panels or whatever. And then, um, because of that, I got asked to be on this, like, flash advisory council for the women's foundation in Oregon. So it's an Oregon um, based like women and girls rights organization. And we are doing the first comprehensive report on women and girls um, through like an intersectional feminist lens uh, in over 25 years. Wow. So there hasn't been one since the eighties and this one hopefully will um, shed some light on a lot of the really crappy things that are happening in Portland and other parts of Oregon and help us like get some both national like funding and also local like uh, support. Cause like Portland's a somewhat liberal place, but the rest of Oregon isn't right. as you can tell from like all the um, sitting at the bird sanctuary bullshit. And yeah, so we're trying to make sure that queer people that like uh, people of color, trans people outside of the major cities outside of Portland specifically have rights and health and safety and it's not there yet. So yeah. Anyway, that's, that's a lot of what I've been doing lately volunteering and it's hella fun. That's awesome. And I'm way better at that than I am at building a house. So, <laughs> right. I just keep going back to that because seriously bad, real bad. <laughs> I know it's funny when you get that uh, pressure to do, um, the kinds of volunteering that your peers are all doing. And so you think that like you have to, I remember this a lot from like college days where, I mean, there were certain types of volunteering that seemed cool and it took me a long time to figure out that the problem wasn't me. Like I would, I would go to do this, like I joined this, group that was doing whatever kind of volunteer work and I would hate it. And, yeah. and I'd be like, what's wrong with me? Aren't, aren't I a good person? And then it was like, no, and it's not really the group's fault either. It's just right. that it wasn't for me. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, that's the worst feeling too, is like everyone else seems to frankly get off on doing certain kinds of volunteering. And, and a lot of that getting off on it, in my mind actually comes from like some pretty bad places Maybe where it's like, we really help these poor people. Uh, And it's like, but the classism inherent in that, or some of the like racism that comes out and some kinds of assumptions or the volunteering and I'm doing air quotes here, but the volunteering that doesn't ask, what does your community need? How can we assist or support your community? 
and says, we're going to come in and do these things that we think you need because we haven't asked and we don't care. Um, and that leads to a lot of really unfortunate problems. And the history of a lot of organizations is paved with that too. Yeah, I know there's a fine line between um, getting involved uh, in something that um, you know you enjoy and you're good at, um, but but where you've never actually had the you've never been a potential customer of the yeah of of the like uh, I'm saying this really badly and we'll edit it all out. I think I get what you're saying though. But like it really helps your volunteering um to come from the right kind of place if you've been one of the people who could benefit from the volunteering at some point earlier in your life. And maybe that's why it's so much easier to do as, you know, a 30 something or 40 something is that when you're 20, like unless you had a really rough childhood or a childhood in a particular um like maybe you had a particular disease or something when you were a kid and then you start volunteering for that. Like most people had a pretty great childhood really. And they're not actually, they don't feel enough of the pain to be a good volunteer in that area. Yeah. And the addition to of like kind of the theater sometimes, Uh, and I don't want to like discourage people from like getting involved in volunteering, but like know what the organization does, how they spend their money. Like a lot of these things that are, if they're a nonprofit, they have to publish like their uh, financials at the end of the year. Don't volunteer for a company that's spending most of their money on things that don't actually help people. Right. Like they're using you as a theater to make people believe that they're doing good in the world. And, and that just sucks because yeah. the point of volunteering is ideally to make a difference in the world. I also, uh, and this is, you know, um, partially from my experience here. And this is the reason why I'm harping on like the specific religion of Christianity. But, um, I see a lot of, in those churches, people doing like one day of service at like a soup kitchen and then thinking like, well, I don't need to income redistribute. Like I deserve all my money. Those people don't work hard enough. Like a lot of these really like negative opinions of people who are oppressed or marginalized, um, into poverty, like those come from this very limited glimpse of a small portion of a population um, going in and going out. And and then that assuages all the guilt uh, or all of the like sense of shared humanity that might make someone say, give away 10% or 20% of their income or support government policies that might actually help those people. Or do something and, really hard that might get them arrested. Right, exactly. Like fight it back a little bit um, in a way that isn't just showy and ridiculous. Um, yeah, and I don't know. Maybe I, my guess is Canada is a bit different in that regard. No, no. Ew. Okay, still the same kind of thing. Yeah, I think so. I think it's maybe because I've the people I know in Canada a lot of times are involved in like HIV activism or sex work activism. Um, right. Or, no, like, we have bankers and oil field workers as well. Right. Right. Sure. Yeah. There's that whole like province of uh, Alberta. Right? <laughs> <laughs> your favorite neighbors Hi, um, Alberta. Uh, Alberta's cool <laughs> I think if you aren't feeling if you aren't learning from the people you're serving uh, yeah. to the point where it hurts you like you feel pain for them mm-hmm. like you actually develop real empathy not just feeling yeah. sorry for them 
but right. you get it to the point where you will sacrifice uh like time and effort and energy and it makes you cry mm-hmm. if you're not doing that if you're not getting that out of volunteering you need to find a different place to volunteer and you also need to develop like i think what you're saying right there is like based on developing real relationships with people right like you can't do those things unless you're actually part of that community. Right. right? And so when I'm helping out, like um, when I'm doing trans like activism, when I'm doing like trans work, like I am trans. So that's pretty easy for me. However, I'm still white. I'm Mm. still like relatively affluent. I'm still able-bodied. I'm still neurotypical. And so those lenses are things that I don't have, but I surround myself with people who do. Um, I try to. And like, Uh, Same with our racial justice work. Like I am a white woman. And so I don't pretend to understand the needs um, or, or like desires of the black or Latina community, but we have people on the board that are black and Latina. We have a lot of people that we talk to and have in the organization that are. And so we make sure that they are centered like in our work and that they're the ones informing our decisions around that stuff. Right. And there's occasionally pushback from like other like white members of like my group and in those cases, I'm just like, hey, like, this is not our place to talk right now. Like, we don't get to have an opinion on this other than whatever you need. Let's do this. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think that comes with maturity, whether it's age or just, you know, a mindset to um, trust the stories that people tell you um, that come from their experience instead of some sort of like theoretical book knowledge or observational yeah. knowledge. Right. Um, and that's hard. That's a hard switch to shut off when, especially when you're a privileged person. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it totally is. And I, you know, it's so easy to, um, rest on like past, uh, past mm-hmm. marginalization. Right. Yeah. So like I grew up poor and that's never going to change. I will have always grown up poor, but I haven't been poor for years now. Yeah. Like I still remember not that long ago when I was struggling to pay rent, struggling to feed myself, struggling to like keep the lights on and making like less than poverty level in America. Um, wasn't that many years ago, but it's been a few now. And like the fact that I live paycheck to paycheck sometimes now, a lot of times now is, is because of bad decisions on my part. And some of those are informed by like poverty trauma, right? but it doesn't change the fact that my income is significantly higher than a lot of my friends. And like, frankly, this is like, uh, I try to be really honest and open about like my income with the people that I'm working with, with my friends, not as like a braggy thing, but more of a, I want to make sure that you know, like where I'm situated in regards to you so that like, I can never pretend that I'm not doing okay in right. some ways. You know what right. I mean? Yes. To- I um, totally know what you mean. And I think and that parallels to like not pretending that race doesn't matter when you're white <laughs> or not yeah. pretending that, um, you know, sexual orientation doesn't matter when you're straight. Like these things right. matter and they affect how they people really do. do. Yeah, They really do. And like, and I think that's the whole thing about maybe volunteering at a larger level is is it's ultimately about selflessness. It's ultimately about centering someone other than yourself. And like that starts before you volunteer, that starts with like how you hang out with your friends. It Mm. starts with how you are with your partner. That starts with a lot of other things. And like, it's okay to be selfless 
um, with that stuff sometimes. It's also okay to like be selfish sometimes and like finding that balance is a, it's a good thing to do. Yeah. It's interesting. So um, one of my major volunteering sort of stints was as a volunteer in the emergency department in a um, hospital in, in the greater Toronto area when I lived there. And I started um, right before, before I had my first kid and then um, had my, my kid. And then about six, eight months after I had my kid uh, came back and and did some more time uh, working in the emergency department. And I mean, I had been a customer, a client of emergency departments before somewhat, but boy, was it eye opening. I mean, it was, there's something about, yeah. so not only do you, is it a good idea if you've been a customer of said, you know, volunteer organization, but it also like, it changes how you interact with that issue from then on. Like my understanding of, of, the medical system is limited. I'm not a professional, whatever. Totally. But, but, um, it. I mean, I gave a lot. I helped a lot of people. I spent a lot of time doing stupid tasks. Not stupid, but like boring or gross yeah. or uncomfortable tasks for people. Um, also I gained a lot of knowledge and empathy and understanding and just insight into how the world works, how hospitals work, how medical procedures work. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it was irreplaceable. People used to ask me, I'd be, I was like eight months pregnant and working in the emergency department and people would be like, why are you doing this? Like how much are they paying you? And, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this is the best thing I've ever done. Like, I'm helping you. Plus, like, I'm learning so much. And, um, yeah. That's pretty awesome. It was amazing. I saw some amazing things. I saw my first dead body while working there. Oh, geez. I saw people, like, throwing up and bleeding everywhere and people who were distraught and people who were dying and people who were freaking out and nurses who behaved badly and nurses who behaved courageously. And yeah. And it really changed how anytime I've gone into the hospital after that, it changes how I feel about that organization. And also your empathy for like the nurses or for the medical professionals. Cause totally. you're like, I know what you're going through to some degree. Exactly. I know that yeah. even though I don't understand what you're telling me to do, that it makes sense on some level because yeah. It's also tricky too. I think that, you know, like you said, the empathy thing. Um, it, so there are occasions I've seen this in my own life and I've seen this in other people's lives where you go from volunteering or giving your time and energy to needing those services right? where you, you know, aren't upwardly mobile where like something bad happens. And I hate that like a lot of my friends who are so giving of their time and energy and like spirit, um, 
have the hardest time asking for that help or accepting it, right? Like a lot of my friends who are struggling are never the ones who will actually ask for it. And, and a lot of that comes from trauma, but like, it's a bummer that like, you know, I guess it's good that we don't feel entitled in some ways, but it's also like, I wish that people could just feel like they could ask for what they need without shame and without like a a sense of like, well, then I'm going to owe the world or something. So here's my story about that. When I was working in Emerge, um, Mm -hmm. people would come in and they clearly had cold or flu and they get, they sit in the waiting room for hours and hours and hours because people are taken in in court in order of medical priority, not order they arrive. And, and if you have a cold or the flu, even if you feel like absolute shit, you don't take priority over the people who have just about anything else. And some of those people look totally healthy. They can be sitting there and they look great, but it's not your business what's wrong with them or why they're getting taken in before you. And it can be super frustrating for those people sitting there feeling rotten, wondering why doctors and nurses aren't taking them seriously and why people keep coming in after them and going in before them. And so I knew this. I knew like this is like emergency room 101. This is what happens. And it's what I spent most of my time explaining when I was a volunteer because the nurses don't have time to explain that. That's why they're so grumpy. So when my daughter was two, she had a cold enough to keep her home from daycare. It was terror. It was coughing and, and just, she was just lying around the house doing nothing. She's two. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. She was two, two and a half. And, uh, one day it was like, she lay down on our bed and her face kind of went white and she was breathing shallow. And oh I'm God. Like, oh my God. Like maybe I should cancel my plans for today. And so I called the health line, the telephone number, and I described what was going on. And I'm like, I know if I take her into emerge there, she's going to sit there forever and nothing's going to happen. And they're going to say, give her Advil and send her right. to bed and blah, blah, blah. And the nurse is like, no, 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 no. Like you need to take her in. Even if that happens to you, you need to have her see a doctor. So we took her in and they moved her. Like we walked in and the nurse looked at her and t- they took her back. And I'm like, Oh, like that's the thing you don't want to have oh, wow. in the yeah. emergency. It's like, you don't want to be the person that gets rushed from the front door to the back. Like that's, bad and so she had pneumonia she was like breathing shallowly because she couldn't breathe and Been there. yeah and she uh like she was not in good shape and and I looked at the nurse who I knew because I volunteered there and I'm like I can't believe yeah. that I let it get so bad and she just She's like, you know what it's like in here. Like, give yourself a break. You know, you were trying to do the right thing with the knowledge you had at the time. I can't believe I'm crying about this again. This is like 10 years ago. Still, though, that's a big memory. Yeah. And uh, I mean, she was fine. Well, she had it again a couple months after that. But um, but at least we knew what to do. And yeah, she um, but it was really interesting. It was a 
textbook case of, you know what the system's like, and so you refuse to use it. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've run into the same thing. You know, it was kind of, I don't know, I think it points to like how broken the system can be sometimes, mm-hmm. the reason why we do those things. Yeah. But, you know, I, I've, when I first moved to Oregon and I was talking with basic rights about being on their board and they were interviewing me, um, I didn't have healthcare here yet. I mean, I had insurance, but I didn't have hormone access. I didn't have a lot of information about those things. And I was scared to look for it because I, A, like don't know where to find the services sometimes. And B, I just don't know how they're going to be. I don't know how good they're going to be. And I'm like a relatively well-informed person who was literally being interviewed to be on a board that represents queer people to some degree in activism in Portland. Although like some people really don't like us because of some history stuff. And like, definitely it, we messed up a lot of things during during the marriage stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I was like, I remember laughing because I was sitting there with our policy director at the time, um, whose name was Nico. And I was just like, so where do I get healthcare for like, where do I get hormones? And like, they were just like, wow, you don't. And I was like, nope, please. But it was so hard to ask that. And I think that I just had to really like swallow my pride and be like, I literally don't know. And I hope that you do. And it's fortunate that so much of the trans community can be rough sometimes in a lot of ways. Um, cause it's a lot of people who are really, really hurting. And I really love it when we can kind of come together to provide information or help each other in those small ways that end up being so huge, like friends who offer, and this is illegal, so they don't actually do this. Never ever. <laughs> but like one friends could. who offer, right. One could, uh, send prescription drugs to someone, um, when they run out of money or run out of access or get denied for frankly, completely terrible reasons. Yeah. Um, and like, for instance, when you have part of your forms changed to the right gender or the right name, but other ones not, because there are like 10 different ways to get your uh, identity stuff in America and it's terrible. I think Canada is still pretty bad too. Yep. But I have friends sometimes who are like, I can't even get the medicine that keeps me like doing okay because like my insurance company thinks my name is this and my, and it's bullshit. So in those ways, like those other little ways of volunteering, like instead of thinking about it as like always, helping faceless people, quote unquote, which they're never faceless, but I'm going to help this organization or help this, whatever, like help your own community too. Like think about the people around you who would really love it and really benefit from it. If you went over to their house and cooked them a meal, right. Or if you're terrible at cooking, don't inflict that on those people, take them out to dinner, do their chores, like mow their yard, like, watch their cat when they're gone. Like those little bits of volunteering is what builds strong friendships and relationships. And like, it doesn't always have to be building a house. It doesn't always have to be working at a soup kitchen. It doesn't always have to be being on a board or being part of an organization. Like it's, it's that stuff that like makes sure that when you had surgery, you don't starve. When you've had a baby, you can recover that you can actually go on a date with your partner occasionally because your friend said, Hey, don't worry. I'll take care of your kid. Yeah. Right. Totally. I think we, um, there is a, a certainly a certain class of people who don't give themselves enough credit for doing that kind of work where it's yeah. not like your mentoring work or even say volunteering at, at your job, you know, for 
like a, a so-called fun committee or something like that. Something where it, you're not gaining anything substantial or that you can mm. put on your resume or your LinkedIn profile. Like, <laughs> I'm a good friend. Right. Um, like, I think we need to, as individuals, give ourselves credit for that. I also think that growing up in the church, mm-hmm. like as a Christian, I was specifically one of the mindsets was to not give yourself credit for that. Yeah. Like that, that was sort of, that was your duty and you don't get bonus points for that. Well, bullshit. I get, I get to count that. That counts. I get to congratulate me. I may even get to brag to somebody about it. I certainly get to brag to myself about doing that stuff. It's good. And I hate it. I think I did the same thing. I grew up thinking like, I'm a horrible person and nothing I do is ever going to be good. And the only good stuff that I do is because God did it. And like, if maybe that works for some people, but what that created in me was like a self-loathing yeah. and like a low respect for my own abilities and skills and like an inability to love myself. And that is horrible, especially when you're younger. When I was a teen, I like was just like trashed myself in my head because I was like, well, anything good is God and anything bad is me. Well, and I think it contributes to burnout. Like corporate equivalent is burnout where you're so busy trying to please everybody by doing all of these extra things Mm -hmm. that, yeah, that you're just exhausted and from trying to do all the right stuff but then never getting any credit for it. Yeah. And you can, yeah. And you can definitely like, uh, also not believe in yourself at work. You can also like, totally be like, well, you know, obviously my team did. And this is one of those things that like, when people study, like, um, like the sort of vague sub genre of people that sometimes are women, like, um, we end up doing a lot of that at least, from what I've seen in studies of like yep. a lot of like, Oh, it's my team. Like in interviews, especially like I, I did, my team did this, my team did that. And like, uh, it turns out that a lot of like dude type people end up saying I did this, even if it was a team. And like, that's not to say we should take credit for things that we didn't do, but it also means that we can give ourselves credit yeah. and that we never do. Right. It's like we become our own worst enemy. Right. And and it's, uh, it's so frustrating. And I, I don't know, I like, I hope that if there's a takeaway from this, it's a small things can be volunteering, helping your friends can be volunteering and like love yourself enough to take care of yourself. Like if you're giving away your own time and energy to the point that you're not safe, happy and healthy, then stop it. Like you not surviving doesn't help anyone. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah exactly um and there's so much that we do for free that if we're hurting ourselves by doing it what's yeah yeah it's just not it's It's just not worth it it's possible you've lost sight as to whether you're actually helping anybody by doing it yeah yeah and i god too the, the thing of like um and i've done this before too where you're like helping people i'm doing air quotes again you're helping people but you're also just complaining all the time about it. Yeah. Oh, it's just so awful. Don't do that either. Like, stop it. No one needs that. No one needs that help. Like, yeah. it's going to be hard sometimes. It should be hard sometimes. But if you've lost the energy or the interest in it, it's likely your efforts are going to be not very good. I think that's true. And I think also that if you go, 
yeah, I need to take a break and not do that, at least temporarily. Nobody ever goes, oh, but come on. Yeah. Like nobody does that, even if they think it. And who cares what they think? Or even if they gossip about it, who cares what they gossip? Like nobody's actually going to come to you and go, yeah, no, we're going to need you to come in and volunteer today. I mean, maybe the PTA does that. Maybe the PTA, but (laughs) (laughs) there's, I remember watching, I don't do PTA. (laughs) I remember watching my friend's parents sometimes like, yeah, just do this stuff that I'm like, you don't even want to be here. Like, why are you? But I think there was like, yeah, it was like pure guilt. Also. Yeah. Like that's maybe another good takeaway. Never guilt your friends or loved ones about volunteering. (gasps) Like you don't know what's going on in their life all the time. And you don't know what they're needing right now. Yep. And if you fucking go after them for not doing whatever you're doing, like not okay, not okay. Not encourage them to be aware of what's available. Like encourage them to be involved and like center their politics around like women of color, but like do not shame them or guilt them. It's not good. Preach. Totally. <laughs> yes. I like, while I love volunteering and I think everybody should do it, that's in the theoretical sense. Yes. Yeah. And, don't force your employees to do it either. It's probably kind of illegal. <laughs> Especially if the beneficiaries are upstream from them. But yeah, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. God. Uh, not- yeah, how many times have you, uh, or, you know, how many times have you volunteered to help like a s- executive person, you know, fix their computer or something? I pers- usually try to make sure I'm getting something out of it. Like I remember at my previous job, because all of my stories are going to be about my previous job. Like I would go recruiting for new employees. We would visit universities and those were amazing trips because I did not work during them. I made sure that work stayed at the office. And I knew there were a lot of people doing that who were like going back to the hotel and then working. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, no, this is not how, if, if that like, no, this is not volunteering yeah the mothership this is the mothership making me work it's just a different kind of work like i think (laughs) volunteering at work is is yeah well ultimately like whatever you think that you're doing your job for whatever reason you think you're going to work for you're ultimately going there because your landlord (laughs) or the government or whoever you have to pay for goods and services under capitalism which we all live in unfortunately uh, you're going there for money. Yeah. And like, you can pretend you're doing other things and that like you're volunteering your time, but ultimately like you are being paid arbitrarily at an arbitrary value for time of your life that you won't get back going to someone else's profit. Like you're making money for rich people. Right. And recruiting, especially because like even the beneficiaries, you're pulling them into the same system. Yeah, totally. Like, and, and whatever money they're going to get paid, like they're going to produce more value. That's how the system works. Right. Like they're not getting paid fairly for their value because there's no fairness inside of capitalism. <laughs> Sorry. If, this is not going to turn to a socialist podcast. I but I'm I, totally I, on board. And I think all of our listeners are too. You can hang up if you're not. Um, like, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, the day the company decides they're not getting their money's worth out of you, uh-huh. they can deal with that the way right. they know how. And they're not going to volunteer to come to your house and help you take care of things when you don't have a job anymore. No. Nope. No. Yeah. 
anyway, yeah. <laughs> <Woohoo>. rise up. <laughs> Good times. But yeah, uh, I don't know. I think we can probably like close it out here on I those happy so. notes. But like, <laughs> I yeah, I think volunteering is super important and really worthwhile. And like, I'm glad that neither one of us had such negative experiences growing up that we weren't able to like right. still volunteer later on. I think that is one of the key takeaways is that no matter what your vol- your motivation for volunteering when you were a youth was, yeah, like make sure you still hold on to the core good that giving of yourself for the greater good is when you're an adult. Yeah. Because it gets better. It gets better. <laughs> I don't Sometimes. Know. Somebody I mean, and that. sometimes you can see a small things that you do for people make a huge difference. Yeah, and like, like starting that close to home is, is great. Right. Never be, what's that? Like really, uh, that trite saying of like the cobbler's kids have no shoes. Like <laughs> totally. don't fucking be that cobbler. Like right. give your kids shoes. Right. Make sure like your kids' friends are also doing okay. Like right. if you don't have kids, make sure your friends are doing okay. Like watch out for people. Yeah. Uh, yeah <laughs> anyway 100 <laughs> but yeah i'm glad we talked about this though totally me too <laughs> um so uh you can again find links and show notes today at uh goodstuff.fm slash grownup slash 24 and you can follow us on twitter and if you have amazing um volunteering stories sure email us there's contact links on yeah the or tweet us or tweet, you can us. tweet us directly too we never actually give our own twitter handles do you want to do that or well mine is impossible but you tell yours yeah so mine is just my name it's at brooke shelley b-r-o-o-k-s-h-e-l-l-e-y like mary shelley um and then yours <laughs> is i <laughs> I tweet at you sometimes, but it's like K-A-R-I. It's pronounced K-A-R-I, which is also how you spell my name. Oh, K-A-R-I. I think you told me that before and I forgot yeah, it. I know. It's yeah. the phonetic spelling of my name. But yeah, so K-A-Y-A-Y-A-R-A-I. But I bet if you look at the followers list of our podcast, you'll see Carrie in the followers list. There so you we can- are. But yeah, we'd love to hear from you and and hear about volunteering stories and like, Yeah. And I, I want to say this is, I'm going to commit somebody to doing this. One of our upcoming episodes is going to be about polyamorism. Oh um, yeah. Now that I've said it on the air, it is in fact going to come true. So Good. it's going to be amazing. And all of you, um, all of you, all of, <laughs> all of you, including me, yeah. uh, monogamous people should tune in. It's going to be outstanding so it'll blow and, your freaking mind and maybe open up your relationship i'm just <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no it sounds awesome standard disclaimer supply i'm excited <laughs> all right thanks carrie bye Brooke.